0: BFM eighty nine point nine is seven oh six. It's Monday. It's the eighth of January, and uh, you're of course with the Keith Kam, Mabu, and I'm Wong Xiaoning. Now, in about thirty minutes, we discuss Taiwan's presidential election that will lead this set that will be held this Saturday. But in the meantime, let's recap how global markets closed on Friday.
1: On Friday, the Dow closed up zero point one percent. The S M P five hundred closed up zero point two percent. While the Nasdaq closed up zero point one percent. On the Asian front. Nikkei closed up 0.3%, Hang Seng was down 0.7%, Shanghai Composite was down 0.9%, the STI was up 0.3% and our very own FBM KLCI closed up 0.7%. So for some insights
0: on what's moving markets, we speak to Yap Junrong. He's the market strategist at IG International. Good morning, Jurong. Thanks for speaking to us. I want to start with the rather... Uh, conflicting or would it, conflicting data that came out of the United States last week. We, of course, had stronger-than-expected job numbers. We had data signalling that the US economy is strong. Then we also had Fed minutes that show that the Fed is very resolved in bringing down inflation, suggesting that it's still going to be higher for longer. So does this mean that the street is wrong with regards to their expectation of Fed fund rate cuts for 2024?
2: Hi, good morning. Thanks for having me. Uh, I think not necessarily um, that the markets are wrong in terms of pricing for a series of rate cuts in 2024. I mean, the US uh, jobs report last Friday has has been stellar. I mean, we have very strong job gains. We have lower unemployment rate, which continues to point towards some resilience in US labour conditions. So I think based on that alone, the logical impact is to have some pushback against the dervish rate expectations, right? Because a strong US labour market kind of do support rates to be kept higher for longer. But however, if you we were to turn our eyes to another crucial piece of data uh, in focus, and that is the US services PMI data, um, we are actually seeing it coming in way below consensus and indicated the services sector's uh, slowest expansion since uh, June 2023. And we know that the services sector has really been that very strong spot for the U.S. economy. So this uh, underperformance really does suggest that upside risks to growth are still largely presented. And more notably, I'm looking at the employment uh, sub-index of the PMI data and services employment were also far into contractionary territory for the first time in seven months. So in a way, the data suggests that while U.S. labor market is strong at the moment, you know, there are still a significant uh, downside risk ahead. So that led to some, you know, some indecision in the markets around the scale of rate cuts. I believe uh, we will have the US CPI data out this week, so there will be another crucial uh, data to watch in terms of moving the Dow around uh, rate expectations.
1: Junrong, the S&P 500, along with the other indices, finally broke the nine-week winning streak, ending the week in negative territory. Why was there a pullback in the bullish sentiment that equity markets were enjoying?
2: Yeah, I think looking at that 17% uh, rally in the S&P 500 since November last year, right? I mean, in two months, we have a 17% uh, return. I think a lot of optimism is kind of being priced. I think uh, markets were very glad to ride on these uh, soft landing hopes and also these uh, dovish uh, Fed rate expectations. So markets continue to look for five rate cuts from the Fed this year. And that is clearly more dovish than what our uh, US policymakers have gathered for. I mean, in the December meeting, uh, Fed members were only looking for three rate cuts in 2024. So in a way, sort of having closed off the year of 2023 on a very good spot, I think it does call for some uh, profit taking into the new year uh, with concerns that coming up that, you know, some of these dovish market expectations may kind of be pushed back. And I think the the extreme bullish sentiments uh, towards the end of 2023 may also call for some uh, sort of a near-term cooling or near-term unwinding in the risk environment. If you look at uh, technical conditions, it's in overbought uh, territory. If you look at some of the market breadth indicators, it's also hovering at overextended levels. And uh, the fear and grid index was also previously hovering at these uh, extreme uh, grid levels, so that you know, really add to the list of reasons for some uh, near-term pullback.
3: Junrung, uh, like you were saying, uh, this, the positive sentiment has been ongoing since the start of November last year and what happened is probably a function of profit-taking. Um, are you of the opinion that this, this overall positive channel is uh, still intact going forward and for how long?
2: Yes, I think uh, looking at the broader trend, I think the, the overall upward bias is still intact. But Of course, in the near term, I believe that sort of uh, profit-taking activities may sort of uh, bring the retracement uh, much further, uh, at least over the coming days. And uh, if you look on the macro kind of uh, perspective, I think generally, if we are looking at inflation trend, you know, sort of uh, still on the downside, if you are looking at economic conditions, uh, still showing some pockets of a uh, resilience. Uh, I believe that the overall uh, macro perspective is still kind of supportive uh, for this uh, overall uh, broader uh, upward trend itself. So moving forward, of course, uh, until we see some, uh, some changes, some shift in the inflation trend, uh, sort of, you know, maybe potentially a pricing pressure moving to the upside, then that will create some form of a challenge. Uh, Until that materializes, I believe that overall markets are happy to ride on this uh, broader upward trend uh, in 2024.
0: All right, let's look at some of the markets that did rather badly in 2023. And the Hang Seng Index is one of them. It actually fell 14% on the year to date. What is your outlook? And ultimately, is this still just a proxy to China's uh, economy?
2: Yeah, so I do think that uh, a lot of risk have been uh, priced in for uh, Chinese equities. And as you mentioned, the Hang Seng Index uh, itself, it has been the worst performing index uh, in 2023. And uh, they have delivered this very huge underperformance, you know, uh, falling 14% last year to actually touch its lowest level since 2011. So in a way, I still see the Hang Seng Index as sort of a strong value play. Uh, but I mean, the thing for value play is that we do not know how long uh, markets will take to realize its value. Mm-hmm. And in this case, uh, for markets to do so, I believe we will have to see a trend of recovery in economic conditions to, rely, to really, you know, sort of provide the conviction that the worst is potentially over. And for now, I believe that has not been uh, presented yet. So my view for 2024 is that, you know, even though there are still risks, um, we shouldn't, you know, totally struck the Hong Kong uh, markets off totally. Mm-hmm. I think there are still some room for upside economic surprise uh, as we look towards uh, sustained policy support, uh, as we look towards a uh, deeper structural uh, reforms uh, to try to revive our growth from authorities. Uh, we may also see some delayed effect from the accommodative policies put in place towards the later half of 2023, So definitely, you know, one can continue to keep watch on any successful, you know, turnaround in economic data as sort of a sign of policy success.
0: Okay, on the flip side, Japan was the best performing market in Asia. It was, I think, almost up 30% on the year-to-date basis. Do you think that this year can be a repeat of uh, 2023's performance or is the easy money all just done already?
2: Yeah, so if you look at the uh, Nikkei, the Japan uh, market performer, generally it tends to track uh, very closely to what's happening in Wall Street. And of course, uh, with that a uh, very strong rally uh, in the S&P 500, you know, that also has sort of a positive uh, knock-on effect on the Japan uh, market as well, considering there are very strong uh, trade relations uh, on that front. Uh, but moving into uh, 2024 of course uh, i believe the broader uh, outward trend uh, may continue i mean we are we are looking at some of the corporate reforms uh, coming into play uh, for the japan market so that could create some form of a longer term uh, longer term uh, impact and some uh, longer-term traction for uh, Japan uh, equity itself. But one of the key ways that you know, I'm sort of uh, having some reservation on if of, is, of course, you know, the story for 2024 is that uh, the Bank of Japan is uh, probably shifting out of its uh, you know negative uh, rates policy uh, that is priced to take place, you know, as early as the second quarter of this year. So that could create some form of a volatility in the Japan markets because, you know, if we have a higher rates on that front, that could really challenge the opportunity cost for Japan equities. So that will be one of the key risks that we can watch. Uh, but, you know, I believe that the broader upward uh, trend may continue to remain uh, intact as long as the global uh, risk environment gives the go-ahead.
0: Alright, thank you very much for your time. There was Yap Jun rong market strategist at IG International, telling us what to expect for 2024. Uh, but let's turn our attention to what Janet Yellen expects for the US economy. Well, she expects it, actually she's already declared it, that on Friday that the US economy had achieved a soft landing as high inflation was tamed without significantly damaging the labour
1: market. Now this comes after the release of job data that showed job gains and wage increases in December both exceeded expectations, prompting investors to trim bets that a rate cut could be seen in March. Now, Yellen highlighted that the average hourly earnings rose 4.1% in the year through December, while consumer inflation is projected to come in at 3.2% for the year, which would mean wages had exceeded price growth last year.
3: Yeah, uh, I mean everyone was kind of expecting that that kind of a good news uh, going into 2024 and you know, like like Jerome was saying as well uh, it's about time that with that with that uh very positive momentum that we saw since the start of November there's bound to be some profit taking and mm. this really annoying thing called gravity that will pull <laughs> things back down a little bit before hopefully going back up again.
0: Well, I think the street actually if you look at uh, what and what economists are expecting for GDP growth in US, it will come down. 2023 was 1.9%. 2024, they're only expecting 1.3% to then recover to 1.7%. But by then, inflation is supposed to have hit 2.6% from the current average of 8% for 2023. So if they've done it, I, I mean, kudos to uh, mm. Jerome Powell for having the right monetary policy. And of course, Janet Yellen, I think, is probably going to be keeping an eye also in terms of what they can do from a fiscal perspective. But let's turn our attention to Danish jewelry brand. Pandora, do you know that they're one of the world's largest jewellery companies?
3: I, I only realised they were Danish recently. <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay, so they reported quarterly revenue that exceeded estimates thanks to Christmas and Black Friday sales in the US. Revenue in the last three months of the year rose by 12% on an organic basis to 10.8 billion kroner or about 1.6 billion. This was better than street expectations.
1: Yeah, it's exceeded uh analyst estimate of 10.58 billion kroner. Meanwhile, like-for-like like sales were up 9%. Now, this strong fourth quarter performance lifted full-year organic growth to 8%. Full-year revenue came in at 28 billion kroner, Danish kroner, or $4.1 billion. Now, in 2023, Pandora shares, get this, 90% as the company raised its full year of sort finance. Saw 90%. Sort jumped yeah so 90% as the company raised its full year financial outlook twice in the last four months of the year and the company has been winning market share in their contracting industry in its biggest market the US Pandora Quidditch organic growth of 15%. Like for like sales were up 10%. 10%. Yeah, and
3: uh, in in China, revenue was actually down 12%. The company is in the middle of repositioning itself. Their sales of its lab-grown diamonds rose by 83%. Although this category is only just 1% of total revenue. I mean, lab-grown diamonds, uh, how are they different from actual diamonds? I'm not a (laughs) jewellery connoisseur. De Beers, (laughs) Beers,
0: okay. So De Beers, of course, who's the household name when it comes to real diamonds like mined out of the ground Mm -hmm. will tell you that there is a difference. But I think if you just... Take a first glance, it's hard to tell unless you really got those equipment and you look at it. But Pandora, even though your results are really good, the street still doesn't love it as much. Only ten buys, eleven holds, just one sell. Nine hundred and sixty nine kronos is the target price. Last time price nine hundred and forty six kronos. So looks like it's still not shining brightly enough for Wall Street.
3: And you and you scold me for being all punny. <laughs>
0: Once in a while, a girl's got to love her jewels. Up next, we'll cover the top stories in the newspapers and portals this morning. Stay tuned, BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.